Good morning, sports fans. It is Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. This is the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. As always, it's Mike Lyon. It is an early edition of the podcast this morning. Not real early, but early enough. Uh, And if you are a Red Sox fan, you are waking up to one of the best wins of the 2017 season. And perhaps, and I say perhaps because we've still got a long way to go, this will be the win that propels them to the division title and really gets them going. The Red Sox are sizzling hot. They stared adversity in the face last night to the Baltimore Orioles. They were down 5-0 and then 6-1 and rallied and came all the way back. They scored six innings, Eric, sorry, excuse me, they scored six runs in the top of the fifth inning. They allowed the lead to evaporate again, then tied the game at 8-8 and won the game at extra innings 10-8 on a two-run single by Andrew Benintendi with two outs and two strikes in the top of the 11th inning. Uh, And as... At least one article mentioned about this game. If you want to look for heroes, there are heroes galore in this game, and and there's all there, it's not all good to come out of it. We're going to talk about it in, in some pretty significant detail today. But there are heroes galore in this game, and they came from a lot of different sources, both expected and unexpected. Uh, the bullpen. Let's start there. The bullpen struggled early. Uh, Doug Fister did not have a good start. That's to be that's possibly the understatement of the day, and we'll talk about Fister a little bit more because I feel like I jinxed him, so I apologize. But uh, Doug Fister start was not good. That's the understatement of the day. Bullpen was shaky early. Keith Hembry gave up a, a run. Uh, Abad gave up another run. Uh, obviously, they gave up two more after the Red Sox took the lead. But after that, Baltimore was finished scoring by the fifth inning. The bullpen pitched six shutout innings, barely allowed a hit over the last six innings of the game. The save, if you can believe it, went to Carson Smith, he who has been much forgotten in that trade from last season uh, with Seattle. They, they traded for him, thought he was going to be the big setup man in front of Kimbrell last season. He didn't even make it out of spring training, had Tommy John surgery this year. Uh, the recovery took him all the way up until June or July of this year. He had a couple more setbacks, pitched in rehab a few times, finally gets called up when the rosters expand, and quite frankly, he's pitched fairly well, and he was put in a big spot last night in the bottom of the 11th, and he delivered. He gets the save, uh, uh, his first of the season. So the bullpen is a bright spot after some initial woes, uh, but they get the job done. At the plate, Mookie bets a three-run double, That really ignited the rally when they scored six in the top of the fifth. That's no surprise. Nice to see Xander Bogarts get get, get going again. He he homered in the top of the seventh inning to give the Red Sox the tie, to put the Red Sox in an 8-8 tie and set the stages for extra innings. Nice to see him getting going again. They could really use his bat in the playoffs, assuming they get that far again. Andrew Benintendi is the winner. We mentioned that before. He hit, he gets the game-winning hit, a two-run single, uh, in a game that featured a ton of really good defensive plays. He gets a ground ball signal single just by the glove of a diving Jonathan Scope, who's a pretty good second baseman for Baltimore, to bring in the winning the, the the two winning runs. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Addison Reed, who got himself into some big big trouble. In the top of the or excuse me, in the bottom of the eighth inning, Baltimore had runners on first and third with one out. 
uh, you gave up a single and I think a an error on, on Bogarts. Uh, moved the runner up to second. A ground ball got him to third. He walked the next batter, first and third. He got a huge strikeout of Jonathan Scope, and then he got Adam Adam Jones to ground out to second to get out of the inning without further further damage. So some huge high leverage situations in the game last night for the Red Sox. Uh, they had a ton of chances to go down. They refused to do it, and then they get the game to extra innings where they have been unbelievable all season. 14 and three is the record for the Red Sox in extra innings. And oh, by the way, the team they played last night is pretty good in extra innings too. And they get the job done. Extra innings doesn't phase them again. And they win this game by the final score of 10 to eight. So what does it all mean? And it's, it's, it's much more of an important win when you consider what happened just below them in the standings. The Yankees played a tight game, but ultimately won their game two to one over the Minnesota Twins. So, as the Red Sox were playing, and again, staring a 5-0 and a 6-1 deficit in the face, the, de the, uh, the, the margin in the East could have easily gone down to two games, but it does not. It remains at three games. The magic number is now down to 10 to clinch the division. The magic number for a playoff spot is now down to four when you couple the Red Sox win and the Angels lost last night. So the magic number for a playoff spot is down to four. The magic number in the AL East is 10, with about 12 games left remaining on the schedule. Uh, so, a lot to be thankful for last night. A lot to, you know, you, you can take a lot of negatives for this game, and we will in a second. Uh, but there's a lot of positives that you can look at. Addison Reed is really settling in. He really he struggled a little bit last night. He probably deserved a little better than what he got because the, the, the ground ball to Bogarts, uh, probably should have been fielded or at least eaten up. It probably shouldn't have been a first and third situation. Uh, but in any event, it was the situation. He got out of it. He's really settling in. That's seven in a row scoreless outings for him. He's easily the primary setup guy for Kimbrell at this point. Uh, Carson Smith, if he can beat the guy that he was last night, all of a sudden the Red Sox have a fairly formidable bullpen. And the guy we haven't even mentioned is the guy who threw two innings in relief on Sunday, and that's David Price. So David Price is going to be pitching out of the bullpen for the rest of the regular season and most likely in the playoffs as well. So if you have a back four of Price, Smith, Addison Reed, and Craig Kimbrell, that's a pretty good back four of your bullpen. I won't go so far as to say it's the best. It's, it's, it's no Cleveland. It's probably not as good as the Yankees have, although Dylan Batances is really struggling right now. Um, it's probably not as good as some of the other teams in the National League have, but it's pretty good. If if all those guys are right, if, if Price can give, can be David Price out of the bullpen, if Carson Smith can continue to throw the ball well, if Addison Reed is pitching the way he has, and Kimbrell's been great all season, you got to feel pretty good about the back four in your bullpen going into the playoffs. And Austin Maddox has come up from Pawtucket. Don't forget about him. I, I think he's earned himself a spot on the roster because... Uh, I don't know who else you can trust back there besides him. So the, the back end of that bullpen looks pretty strong going into October. Uh, and that's a, that's a net plus for the Red Sox, obviously, over the course of the season. So you can't mention last night's game, though, without talking about Doug Fister. And, and again, I feel like I jinxed the guy. If, if, if you've been listening to this podcast over the past week or so, I've been telling you that 
Doug Fister is not only should not only be in your playoff rotation. Now he ought to be your number three, maybe even your number two starter, depending on how you line it up. And, and as soon as I started saying those things, he he, he totally went south on me. Uh, last night he gives up a run in the first inning again. That's something like five in a row. It's five starts in a row where he's given up a run in the first. The problem is he can't make it past the third. He gave up three runs in the second inning. There was another run charged to him in the third inning. He is lifted in the third inning without getting an out. Uh, the control was an issue last night for him. He walked, I think, three or four guys. Uh, obviously, right now, you can't trust Doug Fister in, 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 in a postseason uh, postseason starting spot. And that's unfortunate because over the, you know, the balance of the past two months, he's been pretty good. Much better than you expected when you got him off the scrap heap. But, you know, over the past couple of starts, it's just you can't do it. You, you can't go to somebody who can't find the plate. You can't go to somebody who's not getting you deep into ball games. And unfortunately, in September, you know, when these pennant races are going on and when postseason rosters have to be shaped up, the manager's mind has to be pretty short-sighted. Uh, he's got to have a short memory. He can't remember. You know, he's got to go with his hot hands or his his, his best rotation options. So. Fister, at least over the course of the last couple of starts, and, and things can change quickly. They, they can change for the good as quickly as they can change for the bad, but over the past couple of starts, he's very clearly been outpitched out uh, by Eduardo Rodriguez and probably by Rick Porcello, too, after the really good start that Porcello gave you in Tampa Bay over the weekend. So it's probably time to close the book on Fister as a starter, but we'll see if he can right the ship. It does not count Doug Fister out in a bullpen role, uh, and that's a role in which he had a little bit of success earlier earlier on in the season, uh, especially in in, in, the, in kind of that long relief role that you, you always need that guy in the playoffs because the hook is a little quicker. So I, I wouldn't count Doug Fister out for a postseason spot. I mean, I think right now, I think behind Sale and Pomeranz, I, I think it's probably Rodriguez and Porcello in some order. Uh, I don't think he can go to Fister after the last couple of starts with him. But don't count him out for the postseason roster as a whole. Uh, but again, the net last night for the Red Sox is a positive one. It was a great win. It was a come-from-behind win. They showed a ton of resilience. And they're hot, by the way. Uh, they've won 7 out of 10 games at a time when they absolutely needed to win 7 out of 10 games because the Yankees are red hot, too. Uh, they've won 8 out of 10 and could have cut, you know, the, the, the divisional race could very easily be a lot closer than it is now if the Red Sox didn't get hot at the right time. So uh, a, a great win last night if you're the Red Sox. Something to give you momentum uh, going forward for the rest of the road trip. There's five games left on this road trip, and we will see what happens this evening. Uh, Drew Pomeranz gets the ball this evening for the Red Sox. He goes against Kevin Gaussman, who has been inconsistent all season for Baltimore. Uh, but did pitch well in the last, in very pitched very well, in fact, the last time he was out, faced Toronto, and I think shut him out over seven innings. So uh, you got a good guy, got a guy who's been very consistent on the mound tonight for the Red Sox and Pomerantz, uh, and then you've got Sale going tomorrow night uh, against Baltimore to, to close out the series. So uh, a big win for them, a, a demor you know, possibly a demoralizing one for the Yankees, who, who probably had designs on, on catching them in, 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 in the AL East, but that's not happening, at least not at least last night. Long way to go. Still about 12 or 13 games left in the regular season. 
Uh, so this thing, again, it's, it's far from over. It's only a three-game lead, but a big win last night. Magic number down to 10. One more win gets it into the single digits, and nice win for the Red Sox last night to cap it off. The other thing that's worth mentioning going forward uh, is what is Farrell going to do with his lineup, and what is Farrell now going to do with his infields in the playoffs? Because, you know, Eduardo Nunez was only one of two position players last night who didn't play for the Red Sox in the game last night, but uh, hopefully he, he, he's supposed to be back, you know, pretty soon. It was, you know, the, the knee injury was not considered uh, to be a significant one, but now all of a sudden, Rafael Devers is starting to hit again. Uh, he does look a little bit mentally fatigued. He made an error last night and a fairly costly one uh, that led to a couple Baltimore runs to put him back in the lead in the bottom of the fifth inning. Uh... And I, I think he's scheduled to get a day off on, on Wednesday, probably the day game after the night game. Uh, but Devers is starting to hit again. He had a couple more hits last night. Bogarts is really starting to hit. And again, he got the home run last night. Pedroia got hurt last night. That bear's watching. It's probably not, it's not thought to be real, real serious. But if you saw it, he fouled a ball off the ground and it came up and it bopped him in the nose, which was strange to say the least. But... He had to leave the game. There was a lot of blood. Uh, I think x-rays were negative. I think it's just thought to be a bruise. And knowing Dustin Pedroia, he won't be out very long. So, And, and if you have Dustin Pedroia, there's no way he's not, not on your roster. Uh, first base is a wide-open question. It's a wide-open question. And because Hanley Ramirez isn't hitting, Mitch Moreland has been inconsistent. Mitch Moreland is your glove late. You know, Mitch Moreland's on the roster, and Hanley's on the roster. There's no question he's on the roster, but Moreland is your glove late. But there's a spot where I think Eduardo Nunez could probably play a little bit if they wanted to go with the matchups or the hot hand. And you got to get Nunez back in the lineup before the season to see if he's still hitting for that to happen. But if, if he gets back in the lineup and starts hitting, why not use the guy at first base a little bit? He can play any other infield position and play it fairly well, at least adequately. He's not a bad defensive player. Why not use him at first? If Moreland isn't hitting, if Hanley's still kind of banged up and, and not hitting, why not use Nunez at first? I think it's a situation and, and, and a circumstance that Farrell is going to have to consider because you're going to have to get this guy's bat in the lineup if he comes back and he's hitting again. So it bears watching to see how the infield is deployed in the playoffs if they get there, uh, and I do think that they will. So let's see, let's see how the lineups keep, keep, uh, keep, keep extending themselves throughout the rest of the season. So with the Red Sox in the rear view, uh, let's move on to the Celtics for a second. And uh, again, you know, you, you don't get a ton of Celtics news in, in August and September. They're going to start training camp pretty soon and uh, maybe do a couple preseason games. We can, can kind of take a look at the roster top to bottom. But uh, Kyrie Irving, and, and I, it's... it's I will almost never mention Stephen A. Smith on this show if I can avoid it. Uh, as a matter of fact, Stephen A. Smith and some of the other talking heads that are uh, supposedly, you know, quote-unquote nationally renowned is, is one of the reasons and are one of the reasons that I started this podcast uh, because, quite frankly, I was sick of listening to them. But uh, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman had Kyrie Irving on first take yesterday. And I'm not going to go through the entire interview, which was fairly pointed, and, uh, you know, they asked a lot of tough questions, and you could call it unfair if you want. I thought Kyrie handled it pretty well, but 
uh, that doesn't, that's neither here nor there. But one thing I want to touch on is the notion that they kind of brought up of Kyrie didn't tell LeBron that he was requesting a trade before he told, you know, management that he was doing it. Uh, and didn't tell LeBron that he wanted out or, or was, was going elsewhere, I guess, when, when, when he, right around the time that, that he was telling management that in Cleveland that that's exactly what he wanted. And this is something I've said before on the podcast, but I think it bears worth repeating. When you look at professional sports and, and professional athletes, you got to remember these guys are employees. They're glorified employees and they're, and they're highly paid employees, but they are employees. They are paid by people who are far richer than them, owners of professional sports franchises, to play basketball for them, to play baseball, soccer, football, hockey lacrosse, indoor, whatever the case may be. They are paid by other people to play and perform for that organization. There, that is the card-carrying definition of an employee. As a matter of fact, employees in the four major professional sports leagues in the United States are members of unions. They are union members. Again, you're talking about guys who are much, much, much more highly paid than typical union members are, but they are union members and they are employees. The one big difference that professional athletes have from typical union, or excuse me, not union members, but typical employees is that they have long-term contracts in many cases. And the long-term contracts tie them to play for a specific franchise or a specific team for whatever the length of the contract is. That doesn't mean the contract can be moved, and that happens all the time. Trades happen, cuts happen, the amnesty clause in the NBA, we see it. But professional athletes are employees. And when employ and any employee in the United States of America is free to leave their job at any time that they want and go take another one. Just like any employee can be fired by their employer for virtually any reason that the employer wants. We call that at-will employment. Now, professional athletes are not at-will employees because they have long-term contracts, but that doesn't mean they can't seek out other opportunities. Now, Kyrie Irving was under contract in Cleveland. I understand, I understand that. He was under contract for one more, one more season in Cleveland. So he was tied to the Cleveland franchise for one more year. But if Kyrie Irving didn't want to stay there past that year, he didn't have to. He didn't have to. There's no reason for Kyrie Irving to stay there if he didn't want to do it. And if Kyrie Irving is unhappy with a situation, there's nothing wrong with Kyrie Irving stating, I'm unhappy. Just like an employee who works for somebody else. If they're not happy with their situation, there's nothing wrong with them saying to their boss or to their organization, I'm unhappy. Here's what I think is wrong. Now, that can result in some, some, some consequences. I mean, you could go into walk. You could go walk into your boss's office and say, "I'm unhappy," and the boss could say, "Okay, you're fired." I mean, that could happen. Could have happened to Kyrie Irving too. I mean, he could have walked in, walked into David Griffin's office or whoever was there at the time when he made the demand. I don't know if it was Griffin or if Griffin was gone by that point, but he could have walked into Cavs management and said, "I'm unhappy," and the Cavs could have said, "Okay, you're not going to play here next year." That could have happened. They would have had to pay him under the terms of the contract, but they could have sent him out and say, "You're not playing basketball here." Now, they're not going to do that because Kyrie Irving is one of the most marketable stars they have, and they'd much rather play basketball with Kyrie Irving than without him. 
they'll do something in Cleveland to try to, 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 to make him understand that and, and make him more comfortable in that situation. Or they can do what it is that Kyrie Irving asked them to do if they think it's going to better their ball club, and that's trade him. If you're unhappy with your situation at work, here's the point. If you're unhappy with your situation at work, there's nothing that prevents you from speaking up and saying it, saying something about it. And that's exactly what Irving did. You can call him a spoiled brat. You can say, well, he should have just shut up. He's making millions of dollars, and there's no reason for him to complain. Well, Kyrie Irving had the future on his mind, too, when he was in Cleveland. And if this sounds like I'm defending Kyrie a little bit, it's because I am. It's because I think the questions about him, about doing, about asking for a trade and doing what he did are, are a little bit unfair. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But he had the future in mind. He knew that he's only 24 years old or 25 years old. He had a future in basketball beyond Cleveland. And he saw the bricks unfolding there. He saw LeBron in what was likely the last year of his deal. Didn't really love playing with LeBron anyway. He saw a... a a castle and or a house of cards in Cleveland that was going to have the last card in the deck yanked out from underneath it and everything was going to fall down. So he said something. He said, you know what? I'm not comfortable here. I don't love playing here. I don't love the situation here. Something wrong with saying that. And the notion that he had to go to LeBron and say to LeBron, hey, I'm asking for a trade is, in my mind, simply asinine. It's just asinine. If you're uncomfortable in your situation at work, you're not going to your coworker and saying, hey, I, I, I really hate it here. Unless you work closely with that coworker and you think that there's something you can do better, you don't have to go to that coworker and say, you know what, I'm thinking about making a move. You know, you don't have to go to your best friend at work and say, look, you know, just 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 heads up, I, I don't like it here, and you know, I'm I'm thinking about making a move elsewhere. You don't have to do that. You can. But you don't have to. You don't have to do that. And, and the notion that Kyrie had to go to LeBron and, and tell him what his feelings were because LeBron was the quote-unquote leader of this team, you didn't have to do that. Kyrie Irving's his own man. You know, Kyrie Irving can take care of Kyrie Irving. And the thought that it could mess up chemistry on the court, well, you know, look, that's that's something for them to, them to handle themselves once they get into practice and training camp if they were going to play together. You know, those guys need to be able to put contract stuff aside and I think would have been able to put contract stuff aside and play well together. I mean, they got the, they won a championship together last year. They got them to themselves to the finals again this year. It's not like they were a bad team. They had plenty of talent. They were going to be the best team in the East anyway if Kyrie had stayed. But this notion that an employee such as Kyrie Irving owes another employee like LeBron James an explanation or a heads up to say, hey, I hate it here. You know, I want out. That's ludicrous. I mean, it's just ludicrous. That's people looking at LeBron and giving LeBron this 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 ultra mega star superstar attention and, and putting him on a pedestal above everybody else. And I'm unlike a lot of people in Boston. I actually like LeBron James. I like him a lot, and I've always liked him. I didn't love the decision he made to go to Miami and, and that that whole hoopla down there. I didn't like that at all, but I, I like LeBron James generally. I, I don't have much of a problem with the guy. But what I do have a problem with is the, the, the attention and the exaltation, I'll call it, that people, 
that in the media just afford to LeBron because of he is who he is. I mean, he, he deserves this status, and he deserves to know everything, and if you do anything that could possibly insult LeBron James, you must be evil or you must be doing something wrong because you have to keep this guy happy because he's LeBron James, he's the best player in the world, he's the heir apparent to Michael Jordan, and he's God. I mean, I, 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 I no. No, that's just not the case. LeBron James is a basketball player at his core. He's a very good basketball player, and he's the best basketball player in the world, but he's a player. And in Irving's case, he was another employee. And, it, and it's a totally different dynamic, by the way, when you look at Irving's relationship and what, 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 what Irving has to do with LeBron and what the team has to do with LeBron. It's a totally different dynamic. You know, because people are going to say, well, oh, you think, you know, it's, it's you know, Kyrie doesn't owe, owe LeBron anything and talking to him and making decisions, but the team does. Well, that's hypocritical. Totally different dynamic. Totally different dynamic. LeBron is, I mean, in, in relationship to Kyrie Irving, he's a teammate. He's another player. He's another employee. His relationship with the Cleveland Cavaliers is something completely different. LeBron James is an asset to the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, as, as long as he is working for the Cavaliers, he's an asset to them. And his marketability, his ability to draw crowds, his play on the court, they're assets to Cleveland. Assets to the organization. And if they lose that asset, they lose a heck of a lot of value in the organization. They lose butts in the seats. So they lose ticket sales. They lose the ability to be marketable and to sell their own franchise. So do they need to run decisions by LeBron more than Kyrie? I would say yes, they do. They got to keep LeBron happy. Because if they don't keep LeBron happy, that asset leaves. Look at what happened. To, look at what happened to Cleveland the last time LeBron left. Look at what happened, look at what happened to the franchise. It took a nosedive. And that's exactly what's going to happen again if and when LeBron leaves this time. So yes, it's a completely different dynamic between the team and its most marketable star and a player and his teammate. So I don't think there's anything inconsistent about that. Again, if it sounds like I'm coming to Kyrie Irving's defense a little bit before I've even watched a second of him play, it's because I am. It's because I am. I, 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 don't, I think he would... The, the thought that Kyrie Irving owed anything to LeBron James is asinine. It's absolutely ludicrous. And to think that Kyrie Irving did anything wrong or any professional athlete does anything wrong by asking for a trade is ridiculous. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It doesn't mean you're going to get what you want. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, it, with, with an athlete going to the team and saying, I want a trade. There's also absolutely nothing wrong with the organization saying, screw you. I'm not giving it to you. You've got no leverage. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with the organization saying, fine, we'll trade you, no problem. Or, no, we're not going to trade you, we're not going to give you a raise, and we're going to cut you. Organization can react however it wants. Nothing wrong with that. You know? Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It happened with Ty, you know, happened with Ty Law a couple of times with the Patriots. He asked for trades. You know, it, it happens all the time with, with different athletes. Asante Samuel, I think, did it for the Patriots. Manny Ramirez, I mean, you know, God knows how many times it happened with Manny in, 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 in Boston that, that were and were not reported. You know, it, it happens all the time in professional sports. There's nothing wrong with an employee going to management and going to his bosses and complaining about work conditions. There's also absolutely nothing wrong 
with management coming back and saying, I don't care. There's nothing wrong with it. That's what happens. That's the dynamic in professional sports. So to get on Kyrie Irving for anything that he did, I mean, you cannot understand it. You, you, you know, you, 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 you can put yourself in Kyrie's shoes and, and not understand why he didn't want to play with LeBron, why it didn't work out there. You're free to do that. You know, I don't fully understand it either, but clearly there was a dynamic at play at, at play there that didn't really work. And he went to the Cavs, he asked for a trade, and the Cavs decided to trade him. Decided to trade him to Boston. He's a Celtic now. Danny H gave him the second chance. Case closed. But don't get on Kyrie Irving for not talking to LeBron and not talking to his teammates and, and just going to management and saying, I want out. That's his business. It's not for anybody else on the team to deal with. So let's use the final segment of today's podcast to update a little bit of Patriots news. Uh, not much coming from the, po- the, the, the the press conferences yesterday and the interviews. Uh, Gronk was, was, was interviewed by some members of the press corps. He seems to think his injury is nothing serious and may try to give it a go on Sunday. Uh, Dorsett, Philip Dorsett, also nothing real serious. He thinks he's going to be able to practice this week. So uh, from a wide receiver depth you know, standpoint, that's good news. Uh, Hogan is the same way. I mean, Hogan came back to the game on Sunday, so you would think that he's he's going to be okay. He'll get some treatment. Probably got some treatment yesterday. Get some more today, and, and he'll be back on the back out on the practice field, at least in a limited you know limited capacity this week. No real news on Amendola or Hightower, and that's unfortunate. You kind of hope that you would get something. Uh, some kind of good news on either one of them. So, so no, no, no update on whether Amendola is still in the concussion protocol and when you can expect him to get out. I mean, that kind of thing is is fairly touchy and, and kind of touch and go anyway. So, you're just gonna have to watch the uh, the practice reports for tomorrow to see who's practicing and who's not to see who's gonna be able to go against Houston on Sunday. Uh, otherwise, status quo. Brady was interviewed. Nothing crazy out of the Brady interview. Pretty happy with how the wide, you know, the, the, the wide receivers played and, and the toughness that the team showed. And uh, you know, no, nothing crazy coming out of Patriots camp on Monday. And, and that's typical. You don't normally see any kind of, of bulletin board material out of the Belichick press conference, and uh, nothing crazy out of the, uh, the the Brady interview either. They did have a bunch of guys in for tryouts, including Dayton Jones. Uh, who was a, a first-round pick of the Green Bay Packers, actually had some fairly productive years in the league before the Packers, I, I don't know if they, they cut him or they traded him to Minnesota, and he, he didn't didn't do much with Minnesota. Uh, but he was a first-round pick. Patriots had him in for a tryout. Uh, they also had a bunch of other guys, much, much lesser-known guys, in for tryouts over the past couple of days. Again, I'm sure a lot of them were wide receivers. They're trying to fortify uh, that position as much as they can, uh, given that, the, the, that, that there's been so many injuries there. But uh, no signings yet, no additions to the roster that we know of, uh, so nothing really to speak of on that front. So kind of a slow, na- slow news day coming out of Foxborough. Again, nothing concerning and nothing surprising. Uh, we will see if anything comes out of uh, today. Not, that's unlikely as there's not a ton of practices going on and not a ton of issues generally come on Tuesday. 
So that's our show for this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, big Red Sox win last night. Another big one tonight. Pay attention at 7.05. Uh, Drew Pomeranz against Kevin Gaussman. That's down in Baltimore. Last season, uh, last road trip of the season to an AL East opponent. Uh, but big win last night. We'll see if they can get it done again. Watch the Yankees. Watch the Angels. They will be your playoff markers for the AL East and a playoff spot, respectively. We will be back tomorrow morning breaking everything down from the game and looking forward to the rest of the week in Boston sports. Until then, make it a great day. Hope it's a wonderful one wherever you are. Goodbye, everybody.